What's up, guys? Connor O'Hanlon here for another episode of the Con O Show. And today, we're going to be talking about two very large issues that are facing the nation at the moment, one of which is the voting rights uh, protection that we have been discussing in the House of Representatives, um, and it's specifically around H.R. 1. And for those in Bucks County, we're going to be discussing the so-called moderate Brian Fitzpatrick. We're going to be tearing apart his... Um, stupid response, quite frankly, to this bill. And then we're going to be talking about, again, yes, again, the culture war-esque um, battles that are going on right now in this country regarding a few different topics. And we're going to be refuting again, as we have in the past, why these are not big issues. And we're going to talk about why the Republicans fight this way rather than fighting on the issues that really matter. Before we jump into all of that, which has already been a mouthful, um, I want to make sure that I give a, I don't know if it's really a shout out, but I want to plug a GoFundMe for one of the committee people in Doylestown where I'm the chairman, but also someone that's a major supporter of the show and a major, major force in the progressive movement, especially in Bucks County. Um, Melissa, uh, she's one of my committee people, as I said, but she's recovering from COVID and she really, really could use some help. Uh, so I'm going to leave a link to the GoFundMe page down below in the video. Uh, please, 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 even if you can spare $5, um, even if you <laughs> were going to sign up for the Patreon, do that instead of signing up with me. Um, because, you know, she... <sighs> It's a shame that we really have these issues with our healthcare system and without diving fully into that and without like getting too personal about this stuff, I really want to make sure that we're supporting the people that are fighting with us and for the, the causes that really matter for us. So please, 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 I beg of you, go to the description, go to the link there, uh, send five, ten, a hundred dollars. If you got a hundred dollars, it would be greatly appreciated and share the link because we really need to do that for people, um, unfortunately, in this country. So please go ahead and do that. So without further ado, we will discuss the bill at hand, which is H.R. 1, which um, is kind of a piggyback off of the previous Congress's H.R. 1. And just for anyone that doesn't uh, know, uh, when you say H.R., it just means House Resolution. It's just one of the proposed bills. Basically, it's the first proposed bill um, for the Congress. And, you know, it, it's not necessarily standing for anything that means much more than that. It's just H.R. 1. And every Congress has their H.R. 1, technically. Um, but this H.R. 1 uh, is specifically aimed at voter uh, protections and voting rights, uh, which... Of course, since 1964, have been protected, uh, put that in quotes, because of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And the I think it was 1965 was the Voting Rights Act. So you get these two bills, 1964 and 1965, and then those bills in particular really, really helped um, get the I don't want to, I, uh, the 
Southern states that were formerly in the Confederacy, they were held to a different standard because they had previous histories of, one, leaving the country to start a war, but two, in the Jim Crow era, they were the states that particularly targeted African-American voters and tried to put on means-tested um you know, poll, poll uh, taxes and, and tests and all this other stuff that tried to disproportionately affect African-Americans and stop them from voting. So the Voting Rights Act in particular targeted those states and said, hey, if you want to change your election laws, you got to come through the federal government first and we have to approve any changes to your system. Simple enough. But in, I believe, 2018, uh, the, the Supreme Court uh, struck that down. And now, basically, any reforms that any of these states want to make, they can go ahead and do it. That's a long-winded way of saying the Voting Rights Act is not nullified, but it is neutered. It is quite diminished in its stature in comparison to where it was at. So now... The H.R. 1 was going to be a reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act, which is great. We need that. Um, and that's just the start, okay? So this is going to start to intermingle with my critique of good old Brian Fitzpatrick. But this bill, before I, I, before I uh, really jump into it, I'm pulling my information, and when I'm looking off to my side here, I'm looking at the League of Women Voters website of the description of this bill, okay? If you don't know, if you're not involved with local politics or even, you know, congressional politics, the League of Women Voters is a bipartisan or, you know, nonpartisan uh, group that just focuses on voter protection and making sure people are informed for elections. So when we talk about this, all of the information that I am pulling is from the League of Women Voters, okay? I'm not making it up. I'm not just pulling things out of the air and just saying, you know, this is what the bill says. No. Leave that to Fox News. Leave that to Ted Cruz. Leave that to Mike Pence. Leave that to Brian Fitzpatrick. Because the real bill is aimed at protecting voting rights. Flat out. 100%. Okay? So, with that being said, the League of Women Voters also supports the bill, which should tell you that if a group that is solely focused on making sure that more people can vote, uh, if they support this bill, then most likely, probably... The bill is aimed at actually protecting voters, okay? So, we're going to start with the number one point on their website, which is streamlining the voter registration process, okay? So, we saw this in the 2020 election, okay? I've refuted this a few times, and I want to put it out again, just in case you never watched the show before or you missed this episode. Um, But in the 2020 election... We saw people claim that Wisconsin was stolen from Trump because there was more people that voted than were registered, which of course was not the case. But even if it were the case, you can look at same-day voter registration because in Wisconsin, as in a few other states, they have same-day voter registration. Now, you guys may not have worked the polls. I hope you do. Um, It's a very illuminating 
exercise. It's very unique. There are very few days or things similar to it. But so if you are looking for something to do on election day, go volunteer, get to your local democratic committee and go and volunteer. You'll see what I'm talking about here. But on election day, when I work the polls, I've done this at least six times uh, at this point. Every single time there are people that come there, they say, oh, I thought I was registered here. I had a kid in 2020. He said, oh, I thought I was registered here. And he was registered in Delaware because he went to college there. Or I've had people that were, you know, uh, not registered and they thought they were registered or they were registered to the other party. And in the primary, they couldn't vote for the party that they actually liked. And this doesn't even have to be a Democrat and Republican thing, right? So even if you wanted to switch to a Republican, you probably aren't watching this show. But if you were, you could switch same day registration and you could vote for the other party. That is in this bill because it makes it easier to vote. Simple, flat out. It just makes it easier if you could register when you go to the polls. The second piece on streamlining registration is particularly um, targeted at people when they get their driver's license, which is automatic voter registration. This is basically like a you opt out of it. So you're automatically registered to vote. Um, I don't know exactly how it would uh do party alignment, it probably would just register you as an independent to begin with, and then you could pick or you would be given a questionnaire at the DMV when you're getting your license. That's the easiest way of doing this. I don't know why anyone would be not supportive of it, but of course, there are people that are, and we'll get into why. I, I have my my theories. Um, but that's two things that just streamline voter registration, which of course is easy. Um, voter reg registering to vote is easy. However, we can make it easier. We can make it simpler. And that way we don't have people that are just saying, well, you know, I should have registered last month and the cutoff was last month. So I can't vote. No, I'm not giving you that excuse. You got to go out and vote. The number two point on here is the reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act. I've already told you why this is important, but just to reiterate, the Voting Rights Act is key, is key to protecting the voting rights of minority groups in this country. Without it, I'm telling you, they would come to suppress certain groups, and you can draw your conclusions as to where those groups are. Historically, black voters have been targeted by I mean, honestly, throughout history, if you go back far enough by both parties, but in recent history, the Republican Party, to stop them from voting. And that is unacceptable. If you're like me, you want the most amount of people to vote. Uh, I, my superlative, I think I've brought this up on the show before, my superlative for the powerlifting team was most likely to yell at you for not voting. So, tells you where I'm at in that, uh, in that realm, right? The third part of this bill is the nationwide guarantee to early voting. Why is this important? Well, if you, in particular, let's go with the 2020 election because it's so fresh in our minds, 
The 2020 election brings its own issues, right, with COVID in particular. But in other elections, early voting matters too. We'll just start with 2020 and I'll extrapolate it later. Say in COVID, uh, you need to go vote. And you don't really want to be around a million other people when they're going to vote. Well, that would be a troubling issue for you if you didn't have early voting because you'd have to go on November 5th or whatever it was. Uh, I think it was November 3rd. And you would have to be in the polls with all the other people. You had to be at the polls. You had to wait in line. And guess what? When I was at the polls on election day, there was lines around you know, out the door and around the parking lot because everyone wants to vote in the presidential election. Um, And, you know, we had to take extra precautions. And of course we did. I can't guarantee that everywhere else did. But the whole idea of this was to spread out the, the capacity. And if you don't have a bottleneck on election day where you have a super long line and then people have to leave because they only have an hour to leave and go vote for work, which is about the right time that people are given for that on average unlike in other countries where it's a holiday which isn't included in this bill which i wish it was but you know i guess that we'll get that in hr uh one in a couple years regardless um that early voting really does make a difference um the other piece of this is If you are in a non-presidential election or you're in a non-2020 election, this still allows for the elite, yeah, I mean, the alleviation, I guess is the right word, of, of the bottlenecks on election day. It also, this comes from a part on my end as an organizer, it also alleviates the issues of organizing uh, people for get out the vote, right? It says, you know, okay, you get two weeks to vote. Go ahead and vote. All right. Say I voted a week before. Nobody's going to be coming to my door to tell me to go out to knock or to go out and vote because I already voted. And they know that because it's in the voter, it's in the voter uh, database that we use. If we don't have this, Of course, we come back to the issue of uh, election day is not a holiday here in the United States, which is dumb. So if you don't have the day off, you can't just take all day to stand in line. And if everybody has the same issue, then obviously you're going to have lines. You're going to have to get people that come after work. And if you have to go after work, then you're more likely to be stuck in a line because of the, you know, the ebbs and flows of when people actually go to vote, which I've seen it. It's before work, it's at lunch, and it's after work. So, and then the polls close, and if you're not in line when the polls close, you don't get to vote. Dumb, 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 okay? It's really, really easy. Early voting, you just usually go up to the Board of Elections, you take your ballot, give it to them, and it's all good. Really easy, really simple, and it's just not that complicated to justify it. I don't know why um, people want to fight that, but they do. The next piece on this is citizen-funded elections, also known as publicly funded elections, which I saw in particular, my boy Brian Fitzpatrick really had an issue with this one. So what this was about is for every dollar 
that you or I would spend in small dollar uh, donations. Now, I would need to see exactly the dollar amount. I don't have that um, on me or on the on the website here. So, okay, that's an issue. I would need to know that. However, I am fully supportive of publicly financing elections. This way, at least we, the people, can have a voice. And I'll come back to that in one second. But for every dollar, every small dollar donation that you or I could give, the 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 campaign would get matched uh, $6 publicly financed. It's a simple, simple solution because guess what? This all rolls back to uh, Citizens United and other uh, Supreme Court cases that have deemed that money equals speech, which if you don't know, that's the case in America. Uh, money is speech. So, especially when it comes to political speech, um, political speech is the highest form, highest protected uh, class of speech when it comes to the First Amendment. Uh, political speech is always uh, the most divisive, the most contested of all speech that there is. So you need to have these sorts of protections for people if they want to speak their minds. Now, whether you agree or not, I do not agree, but money was deemed speech by the Supreme Court of the United States protected under the First Amendment. There are plenty of debates that we can have. We can say where's the line, where the line should be drawn. Uh, you know, should we be able to make movies and we, should we be able to make podcasts and all this other stuff? That's a debate for another time. In particular, the unlimited amounts of donations through super PACs, which I'll point out did not start with Citizens United. However, was only was only made worse with Citizens United. Um, it really, really, really can undermine that issue when we get the matching of public funds. So if I can donate 200 bucks, which is probably about what I did donate in 2020 to all the candidates that I really liked because I didn't have that much money, that means that my 200 bucks can be times six. And that makes a lot more of a difference versus the corporate PAC money or the super PAC money that could not be matched because they are already at a larger amount. So basically, when you have super PACs or you have corporate PACs, their money means that they have more speech because they have more money. I mean, if you talk about Walmart and Amazon and all these giant corporations they have unlimited funds, basically, in comparison to you or I. When you talk about the Koch brother, now there's only one, but they spent a billion, with a B, one billion dollars per presidential election cycle. My 200 bucks doesn't even, can't, is not even a drop in the bucket. And that's not even that much of a, like a, a stretch for them. A billion is not even that much of a stretch for them, which is pathetic. Um... But this is something that levels the playing ground. And there's other campaign finance reform. And then one of the most important pieces of our election reform is gerrymandering. So if you guys don't know, gerrymandering is a form of drawing districts. And this happens both in the state 
and in the federal uh, congressional districts. Obviously, for the Senate, um, for the federal Senate, uh, you have entire states, right? But for the Senate in the states and for the House in the states and the House of Representatives federally, you have districts that are drawn, if you're in Pennsylvania, they're drawn by the party in power. Okay, so in Pennsylvania, you have Republicans that are in power of the, of the Congress because we do have a, a Democratic governor, but it's not the case for the uh, Congress. Now, if you're in other states, that might work in your benefit, right? But when it comes to federal elections, it also really matters. And what, what it's based on is the census. And of course, the 2020 census was kind of messed up. Obviously, when we had COVID, you don't have the same level of, I don't know if precisions is really the right right uh, term there because they probably did a, a fine job, but you don't have the same amount of people that are probably responding to it just because of the lack of people wanting to answer in the door or whatever and reluctance to, I don't know, go outside and get the mail. <laughs> so we, we don't really know yet, but we'll see. However, gerrymandering basically is the partisan drawing of districts. Uh, they don't have to be partisan. They don't have to be, um, I mean, they, they could be drawn up by a third party and it doesn't have to be the party that benefits from it. But generally speaking, when you get rid of gerrymandering, uh, you could make it more democratic. You can make districts that are more competitive. You could make it so, um, you know, it's not a Republican or a Democrat every single time. Here's the plea that I would have if you're a Republican, if you made it this far in the video. This reform, specifically the gerrymandering reform, is important because if you want your Republican uh, candidate to win and it's gerrymandered, say like Philadelphia, right? And you want your guy to have any sort of shot. You want to get rid of gerrymandering because that's where they'll be like, all right, if the, which this is what basically what happens. If the Republicans control the, you know, the state Congress, they will draw, you know, a circle and like little lines, just picking and choosing who they want to put in the district of Philadelphia or, you know, parts of Philadelphia. And they'll say, okay, we'll give, we'll give that one to the Democrats, but we're going to take all of the surrounding areas. Let's take the 143rd. The 143rd district is, uh, Doylestown, Plumstead, all these, all these places in, in these municipalities in, uh, Bucks County. Gerrymandered horrifically. The Republicans outnumber Democrats significantly in the district. And, you know, in 2018, we got Wendy Allman to win. And it was like, whoa, that's incredible. Because this is not a district that is ever designed for the uh, Democrats to win. There are anomalies like that. But in 2020, when Wendy Allman got exponentially more votes than she did in 2018, the Republican got more even though Joe Biden won the district. So there are a lot of moving parts here. Uh, we can go into more and more minutia every single time. The point is 
gerrymandering is bad for both parties. Uh, we want competitive elections. We want to have uh, real elections that are based on the popular vote of people in the districts, not just drawn and chosen by the people that should be getting elected. Like the, the elected officials shouldn't be choosing their electorate is basically what the point is here. We should be having uh, a, a genuine competition here. And again, I don't believe that. I think we should be crushing the Republican Party. And I think if we got rid of gerrymandering, we could. But the problem is that gerrymandering is here to stay at the point at the moment. Um, there are some other reforms around the election security, around election integrity. But for the most part, that is H.R. 1. Now, we're going to talk about the Republican, in particular, we're going to go after Brian Fitzpatrick a little bit here, just so I can make uh, the Bucks County people happy. Um, but Brian Fitzpatrick and a bunch of other Republicans, like Mike Pence, like Ted Cruz, all these good guys, right, they're all opposed to this because, one... It, they believe, and, you know, they can correct me if I'm wrong, but they believe that if more people vote, they have less of a chance to win. That's a fact. More, not not always. Again, not always. Because gerrymandering plays a role. Uh, campaign finance plays a role. But in the elections where turnout is high, usually the more progressive person wins. That's because the more progressive person is usually more populist, more of a grassroots organizer. Suppressing the vote usually helps Republicans or the more conservative members. So when you look at this, they don't want more people to vote. Just flat out. Brian Fitzpatrick supports a voter ID law, a federal fed, uh, uh, voter ID law. I got news for you. That is directly in favor of voter suppression. And specifically, he wants to target, by doing this, black people because they live in cities more likely than white people. It's a simple fact. Now, that means... They have less of a reason to drive. If you don't drive, why would you get a driver's license? Or if you don't drive, you don't have a car, how would you get a driver's license? Oh, wait. Okay, you can't? Oh, oh, sorry, buddy. That means you're you're out of luck. You can't vote. Brian Fitzpatrick's a joke. Uh, that's easy. And I get to say that again. Because they are targeting people that are disproportionately less able to get driver's license, who are less likely to vote for Republicans, and they're doing it for a reason. It is simple, it is plain, it is very apparent that they don't like people voting. And if they did, they would make it easy. Um, Brian Fitzpatrick also said, oh, this is not for the people, this is uh, for the politicians. This is for the politicians, right, right, right. Ending gerrymandering, not for the politicians, that's for the people. That means it's easier for actual competitive elections. They don't want that. They don't want 
us to have competitive elections. They want to control the Pennsylvania um, state house, even though they have fewer people. They want to control the Senate because they have fewer people. Although that's again, that's not based on gerrymandering. But when you actually look at election reforms that help the people, they always crush it. They always crush it. They don't want us to be engaged. They don't want us to pay attention. They don't want us to read into what he's saying. And he's trying to say, oh, no, these campaigns, they just want more money. They, oh, it's for the politician. No, they want to match your dollars and my dollars because we don't have enough money to start competing with the Koch brothers, Walmart, Amazon, you know, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, whoever you want, George Soros, I don't really care. Whoever your your particular you know enemy is, we should be fighting together. The government should be representing us. They shouldn't pick us. We should pick them. It's as simple as that. In particular, the two things that stood out, though, were those two things with Brian Fitzpatrick. Because the dude is a Trump loyalist. The dude is part of the Republican Party. And guess what? The Republican Party that you or your parents or your grandparents might know is gone. It is the Trump Party. 40, actually probably close to 50 years of evolving politics, the rhetoric, and we're going to talk about that stuff in the second half of the show, has been radicalizing the right wing further and further and further, starting with Nixon, but mostly radicalizing with Reagan to today, the forms of deregulation, the forms of neoliberalism, which, yes, is part of the Republican Party, the forms of neoconservatism have all combined, and yes, you too, Lincoln Party, screw you, stop taking people's money. If you're a Democrat, stop giving these people your money, okay? These people are grifters. They do not care about you or me. They do not care about making more people vote. They don't want it. Brian Fitzpatrick doesn't want it. Mike Pence doesn't want it. Ted Cruz doesn't want it. J Donald Trump doesn't want it. None of them want it. Because more people involved, more people voting, more money in your pocket that can help a, in, a, in a campaign that you like, in a small campaign that a that is grassroots, not funded by corporate PACs, not funded by super PACs, not funded by billionaires, not funded by millionaires, but by you and by me, they're afraid of that and they're afraid of grassroots organizing. They just have money and money and money and they can suppress our vote. They can suppress historically marginalized people's vote because they don't want us to vote. They don't want the challenge that we present to them. It's as simple as that. So Brian Fitzpatrick, Trump loyalist, he's a joke, just as the rest of the Republican Party is when they oppose this bill. It is disgusting. It is blatant partisan bullshit. They do not care about us. 
We have to stand up. We have to fight back. We have to tell our Congress people that we want these bills passed. We want a $15 minimum wage. Hey, but that's on the Democrats. We need to make sure that our representative officials represent us, whether they are independent, Democrat, Republican. I know this is a, a bit of a tangent now, but we need to stop. We need to stop kowtowing to the whims of the people that have the same letter next to their names. I'm the chairman of the Democratic Party, but Joe Biden needs to step it up. Our representatives need to step it up because we elected them for a reason. Right? I I didn't vote for Brian Fitzpatrick, but that guy represents Bucks County. He should be listening to us. But he's not. He doesn't support a $15 minimum wage. He doesn't support the Voting Rights Act. He doesn't support the Civil Rights Act. I mean, <laughs> it's as simple as that. He doesn't care. So hold your officials accountable. When you see a bill that you like or that you don't like, get on the phone, make some calls, send some emails, get on social media. Sometimes it actually does help. Um, organize. And then, and then... You can actually get involved locally with your committees, with your local DSA, with whatever group you find most appealing to you, because it starts at the local level. It starts at the grassroots level. We don't get to just hop on the congressional campaigns every two years or on the Senate race every six years or on the presidential race every four years. It's every day. Every year, we have to be willing to fight. We have to be ready to organize. So again, this is a common thing that appears in every one of our videos and every one of our episodes. Get involved locally. That's where you can make a difference. That is what shoots us up and we can get progressives elected locally and then they can get that coveted experience that every older Democrat wants us to have. So please, 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 if you're watching this, get involved now because we need it. We need to fight for these things. We need to stop having these like 50-50 majorities. We need to crush them in Senate elections and House elections down the line. So I know that was a long tangent there. And I, got, I get to do that because my camera glitched out and I have extra time in this first half now. But if you guys enjoy this show, <laughs> go on over to patreon.com slash the Kano show. And we have different tier levels for the Patreon now, uh, three different tiers. So if you have a few dollars to spare, uh, please do consider signing up there. And if not, you can hit the subscribe button down below, hit the like button, leave a comment down below. What do you think? Uh, who is your representative? Let me know. Uh, do they support the voting rights uh, reforms in HR1 or do they not? And if you don't know, go ahead and look that up because it's important. Um, otherwise, you can follow the show on facebook.com slash the Econo show. You can follow me on Twitter at Con O'Hanlon or you can follow the show on Instagram at the Con O show. Shows also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify where you can go listen to the audio versions of the show and leave a review if you like the show with all that being said and if you couldn't tell i i did come from the gym before this so i am hyped up on pre-workout it's probably why i'm speaking at an exponentially faster rate than you guys are probably normal to 
but I get a lot more out. So might be working to my benefit. So I will see you guys real quick in part two. So stay tuned and I'll see you then. Welcome back to the Con O Show. I am Connor O'Hanlon, your host, and we're going to hop right back into this and discuss this week's episode of That's Not Cancel Culture. <laughs> um, I basically might as well create like an intro or like a like a graphic that basically says this is not cancel culture. And again, I, I've seen this on, on social media where people want to say, oh, you know, liberals want to say that this is not cancel culture and this is cancel culture because blah, 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 blah. No, uh, cancel culture is not really a thing. Okay. And to the extent that you might believe that it is, it is, uh, what do you call it? Uh, virtue signal signaling. Okay. Because I'll tell you this, feminism in the 21st century has to be, and I would argue throughout history it should have been, but it's moving and progressing in a certain way. It, sh it is and must be intersectional, okay? And that becomes the idea of if you're a male feminist like myself, you're an ally to the LGBTQ uh, plus community like myself. You're an ally with the black community and other marginalized groups. These are these are these are things that I don't understand because I am not living those experiences. And I shouldn't say I don't understand. I've just never lived those experiences, right? I understand them through empathy, but I've never lived them. It's what I, I, I think I had this discussion with Tiffany in my episode two weeks ago is, you know, I can't live the, the life that she's lived and she can't live the life that I've lived. But with all of that, it comes with the caveat that we should always be striving to understand and empathize with other people's situations. Okay. So this week. And actually, this kind of leaks back into last week. We'll start off with last week's piece, I guess, first. And that regards Mr. Potato Head or Potato Head now. And again, this does not freaking matter. The fact is that everyone that's mad about Mr. Potato Head be called Potato Head, one, isn't buying them now. Two, isn't playing with them now. And three, is just virtue signaling to their fans, to their base, because they're mad because they're misogynists? Because they're, I don't know. It's all an act to get people mad and attacking their nostalgic aspects of their life. Mr. Potato Head. It's Mr. Potato Head. Didn't you see Toy Story? As Dave Rubin said. Yeah. It's a potato and you put the different things on it to make it a male or a female or whatever you want. You can mix and match them. Um, because it's a toy. It's a goddamn toy. It doesn't matter. It never has. And the reason why I'm, I, I even want to put this up front now, because the reason why I'm talking about it, even though I'm saying it doesn't matter, is because this is the way that they're going to fight for the next four years. And by they, I mean the right wing is going to fight us. And at least the next four years, 
This has been going on for a couple of years now already. They are so obsessed with the culture aspect. They view everything about life is downstream from culture. And I actually view it everything is downstream from politics. Because the politics should be what I mean, it's basically what should be guiding us because it's how we make our decisions. It's how we vote, how we get involved, and how we make change happen. But they view it through the culture has to change everything else. And this is the same type of people, I'll point out, that thought that video games cause real-life violence. They don't. They thought that uh, gangster rap causes real-life violence. It doesn't. Because, uh, let's guess, who is NWA's uh, biggest group of people that listen to uh, their music. Oh, it's people that look like me? Oh, white suburban kids? Oh, no. Yeah, because we have a real big problem with violence um, with white suburban kids. It's really stupid. Really, really stupid. Uh, they don't want to address that violence is caused by... Uh, it correlates at least with it's not cause necessarily it's correlates with poverty and that's why you see uh crime rates are higher for people that are disproportionately impoverished um and they don't want to address that issue they don't want to help those people so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like okay you can admit and you can look at the data and say yes this is a problem let's address it right no no that's too easy we're gonna say that we're feminizing men and we're getting rid of Mr. Potato Head. So that must mean that the feminists are taking over and everyone's going to be transgender. And, you know, the, the stupid logic goes down that rabbit hole. I mean, again, these are the same people that in 2016 were complaining about transgenders, uh, transgender bathrooms. Um, uh, it's it never never was a real issue it disappeared at the same way as the caravan disappeared and that's another part of this right these things don't really matter they are xenophobic transphobic racist dog whistles that are just trying to rile people up be afraid be you know Again, Mr. Potato Head is nostalgic, and it's attacking their nostalgia, which is, if you've known anything about Star Wars, is one of the worst things that you can do for people, right? You attack something that they love, and again, it's attack in quotes, right? Making something new with the same license or with the same name, there's nothing about potato head that is offensive that you should be mad that they did it now here's where i talk about the virtue signaling from the corporation if and again i should say this first actually corporations are not your friend corporations do not care about you Corporations care about making money because that is what they're designed to do. They have a economic, uh, I don't know exactly. They have they ha they sh their goal, their only goal is to make amount of money for as much amount of money as they can for themselves and for their shareholder. They have a duty to do so. You, as a consumer, 
are their second thought. They want to make as much money from exploiting you in certain ways. Now, exploitation in that sense is not necessarily uh, as insidious as I'm trying to, or as I'm saying it. I'm a consumer. I collect things. I am 100% a, a product of this consumerist society that we live in. But when it comes to something like Potato Head, what they're trying to do is make it more inclusive because they think that being inclusive will make their profits go up because they're going to appeal to more people. It's the same way that if they added um, you know, female characters to Star Wars, their idea is that they're going to make it more appealing to females. It's not that hard to understand. If they added, you know, the female Thor, it's going to make comic books more uh, enjoyable because they can identify with the characters. And by they, I mean, you know, women in that case, or if you add non-binary people to shows or you add, um, you know, black people to shows and these things matter, but they're performative. There's, there's the balance here, right? It's not wholly irrelevant, but it's not the end all be all. We need protections for trans people. We need protections for gay people. We need to protect voting rights for for black people, like I talked about in the first part of the show. And they're constantly under threat. But rather than being upset about that, they're upset. The right wing is upset with the changing of the name of a potato that is made out of plastic. That shows you all that you need to know. But let's talk about the caravan. Because this is not something that happened this week, but this is kind of a a pivot point for us. The caravan in 2018, if you remember back then, was the biggest, most insane, oh no, you know, fear-mongering thing that you can imagine, you can conjure. That Fox News talked about it 24-7. It was like they could have had a, a, a drone following them. And it's 2021. What happened? Oh, wait. Nothing. Nothing happened. Because, one, uh, illegal immigrants or undocumented immigrants, whatever you want to call them, commit crime at lower rates than natural-born citizens. That's just a fact. And undocumented immigrants put more into the system than they take out of the system when it comes to tax dollars. So, again, you don't hear the complaints after. Well, you do hear the complaints from the same people, but not about those specific people because you don't notice them because they're working and they're they're adding to our society rather than taking out like the stereotype that these people would love to have you believe. The, uh, you know, what, what there's a million stereotypes that run through. I mean, Tucker Carlson ta- called undocumented immigrants in 2018 with the caravan dirty. Like he literally just straight up called them dirty. And he said he's going to make the cities dirty and do all that. That's just that's just straight up racism. It's unacceptable. And the reason why they do this is because they know, well, specifically for the Fox News audience, that they're older, that they're fearful of the people that do not look like them, that didn't grow up in those neighborhoods. And it's 
Obviously, it works for them. They win elections based on some of this stuff. And that's why they're going to continue to do it. I had a little conversation with a friend uh, earlier this morning, actually. And he's, he basically asked me, like, do they really think that they, they this matters? And I was like, yeah, they, they, they win based on this. Because people don't want to look in. You you are obviously an exception. If you're watching the show, you want to hear this nuance. You want to hear this debate. You want to go back and forth a little bit. But the average person that doesn't want to engage in this politics, they see, oh wow, they're canceling, you know, Mr. Potato Head. Oh, that's so, you know, these liberals are too gone gone too far. I mean, let's be honest, I don't even identify as a liberal. But they'll, everyone will just say, you know, oh, I'm a liberal, I'm this, I'm that. Liberals hate this, liberals hate that. I'm going to own the libs and I'm going to buy Mr. Potato Head. <sighs> but this is not, it's not really impactful for us. But it, it can impact the landscape of politics. They are more susceptible to this type of rhetoric than we would like to believe. And the average person just is because they don't they don't want to dive into the daily ongoings of what's happening in Washington. They just want to see the headline. Okay, well, Mr. Potato Head. And then they're going to go on the five and, you know, and uh, Newsmax and all these all these right-wing shows and complain about it all day. Which rolls into what happened this week, which is Dr. Seuss. <sighs> And it's, it's crazy how many people think that Joe Biden is to blame for these things. That Joe Biden, Joe Biden, who probably never, Joe Biden's like so old that he probably didn't even read, uh, like Dr. Seuss books to his kids. (laughs) That's an exaggeration, obviously, but He's he has he doesn't care. He's not engaged in this stuff. He is not gonna be thinking about kids' books. The the day I'm recording this is uh, Dr. Seuss's birthday, and this is why it's come up because the owners, the publishers, and the people that. Uh, make money off of Dr. Seuss's books, they decided, not Joe Biden, not the liberals, not the cancel culture woke mob that you have heard so much about. No. The publishers, the people that make the money from Dr. Seuss decided to preemptively say, we're going to get rid of these six titles. Six of them out of how many dozen that Dr. Seuss has made. Because we want people to enjoy the other stories without the issue of these other stories that depict people in racist ways or whatever to ruin the other stories. Now, of course, if you didn't know, Dr. Seuss was also engaged in the propaganda wing of the government back in the same with, I believe, with... uh, with uh, a few other uh, creators at the time, uh, children creators, um, with the propaganda arm of the United States government. And Dr. Seuss has some racist pictures of depicting Asian Americans, which in particular, 
we'll get there in a second. But in particular for then was about Japanese people because in World War II, we were fighting Japanese, obviously. But there are depictions that are horrendous that are from that time period. And I learned about them in high school, which is pretty crazy to even think about because usually you don't learn about that stuff that way. But this is also a, something that we don't tell, talk about enough and we don't take seriously enough. And I think it's an important thing to put in here is the attacks on Asian Americans in particular. Um, the ra the racism since the COVID outbreak in particular is insane. It's monumental because of the perception of the, you know, Wuhan flu or whatever you want, these stupid idiots want to call it. Um, and there have been increases in hate crimes against Asian Americans in the last year. And we don't really talk about the racism against Asian Americans because in particular, socioeconomically, Asian Americans come over to America with a, a little bit of a higher uh, starting point, usually. That's not the, always the case, right? But I'm saying is like if you have a Chinese immigrant, usually they're coming here with more money than the average like refugee would, right? It's just kind of a fact because a lot of uh, Chinese uh, students come here and then they start businesses here, which is good. We want that. There's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of these people are ignored when it comes to the uh, racist attacks against them or just the modern, you know, microaggressions on them. And we should stop that. I mean, it's pretty easy to identify these things. And, you know, there's a difference between jokes and, and this is this applies for everything, right? This is, and this is where cancel culture intertwines. It's like there's a difference between a joke and like an insidious joke where you're 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 not really kidding. It's like there there I mean there's like a difference between uh Bill Burr and Steven Crowder, right? One first of all is funny, the other one's an idiot. But um <laughs> the one is actually coming from a place that is like okay, he's joking around, he knows what he's doing. The other one's just like bigot. Like it the, it's not that hard to tell, but when it comes to like being edgy and on these, you know, oh, I'm an anti-SJW. It's like, who are you doing this for? It's performative. It's all performative. And they're trying to make certain people feel attacked. And <laughs> by doing so, they're actually attacking people. I mean, look at what Steven Crowder did to Carlos Maza and attacking him in particular. Uh, and if you don't know, I'm not going to go into that particular story, but he basically attacked him for being gay and he harassed him. He sent all of his fans after him. Go look up the story. Um, but these things really happen. You know, you're not getting attacked for being right wing. You're not being canceled for being right wing. And there's always that meme. It's like, oh, oh, I was canceled for being a conservative. It's like, oh, you got canceled for wanting lowering ta lower taxes? No. Oh, you, you got canceled for wanting deregulation? No, not that belief. It's like, well, which ones then? And of course, it always boils down to the culture stuff. And I'll leave off today by talking about this is going to be the front. This is the front of the political 
warfare that we have nowadays. It's not about policy. I'll debate policy back and forth all day long. And maybe I can actually learn something if we actually talked about policy. Um, But nobody ever wants to engage on that. So it's hard to actually have like friendly conversations with people that are different so that you can go back and forth a little bit. I mean, I've convinced, and I've told this story on this on the show before. I convinced a conservative on the street when I was when I was collecting signatures in 2020 to support Medicare for all, support universal health care, because I said I believe in the fundamental right to life, and I think that health care guarantees that right to all people. But this guy was obsessed with cancel culture, and he was obsessed with, you know. Oh, you know, they're doing too much of this and that and whatever. Again, intersectionality matters. Virtue signaling from, uh, from, well, from conservatives, one, but from corporations isn't real politics. That is their own choice. That is their choice. They can try to appeal to as many people as they want in the fashion that they want. Real politics and what we identify as doesn't, is not limited to what the corporate world defines us as. You know, transgender people are not going to be like, whoopee, we have Mr. Potato Head now is Potato Head. No, transgender people want protections from uh, being killed. They want protections from discrimination. They want, I mean, we don't even talk about, there is a huge, huge crisis of transgender people being killed in this country for being transgender. Just that, just for being transgender. You, it's, it's an epidemic and we don't talk about it because people would rather talk about why it's important that Dr. Seuss is still applicable to kids today. Nobody argued that. They just wanted to put a stake between us and we can fight over it. We can kill each other over that while the Bezos's of the world and the Walmarts of the world, they can reap all the benefits that they want. They can crush unions as Bezos has been trying to do. They can uh, make trillions with a T, trillions in a global pandemic, and we can't even get our Congress to pass a goddamn $15 minimum wage. We can't even get $2,000 checks, which is what was promised to us. And they would rather us fight over some stupid kids books or a stupid kids toy that doesn't matter. We need to align ourselves so that we can fight for the material benefit of the working class people. But it is important to push back on these issues. And that's why I'm talking about it, even though, again, I think it's stupid Because we need to fight back on all of these fronts. We need to be firing on all cylinders. We can't just seed ground because then they're going to make, okay, you think that Mr. Potato Head being canceled is bad? Well, wait till I tell you about taxes. And it's the stupid things that just gets them to accept one thing and they accept the rest of it all wholesale. 
We need more critical thought. We need to have these nuanced conversations. And that is why we do what we do here. And I hope you appreciate it. I hope I didn't go too crazy on you today with my pre-workout. Um, but again, if you guys enjoy the show, you can go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash the con o show. If you can spare a couple bucks, I'd really appreciate it if you signed up. We need 10 to reach our goal. We have three so far. So if you want to help us get there, I'd really appreciate that. If you have money to spare and you don't want to give it to me um, and you want to give it to a more noble cause, go on over to the GoFundMe in the description box below because we are trying to help our committee person Melza B on Twitter, if you want to check her out, uh, help her with her COVID recovery. It's important. It really, really is. And these things are life-changing if you can help with these funds. We're not asking for a lot of money. Um, you know, I gave 20 bucks. I don't have a million bucks to give. But, you know, if we can try to rally people around this and 10, 5, 10, 15, 20, 100 if you got it, these things really add up and make us a lot of difference. And, you can tell her that I sent you over there. Um, but otherwise, you could follow the show on Facebook.com slash The Kano Show. Me, you can follow on Twitter at Kano Hanlon. The show is on Instagram at The Kano Show. Give us a review on pod, on the Apple Podcasts and Spotify apps. And as always, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below if you're watching on YouTube and hit the thumbs up. All this engagement helps us. And leave a comment down below on what you think about cancel culture. Because it's stupid. But I would like to know what you guys think. And if uh, it's worth, if you think it's worth me fighting these these fights, because I think it is. But it's our show. It's all, it's all of our show. And it's a collective show. So let me know down below what you think. Um, and until next time, stay safe. I'll see you next week. Peace. Thank you.